I mean, in a sense, we're all vampires. We drain energy from other life forms. The difference is one of degree. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form, and totally dangerous. Almost as dangerous as a low-budget film studio giving filmmakers free reign. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1985's Life Force, written by Dan O'Bannon and Dan Jacoby, based on the novel by Colin Wilson and directed by Toby Hooper. And joining us to discuss from Grumpire and Daily Grindhouse is Jay Allery. Jay, thank you for joining us on the cast of Cthulhu. I, hey, I'm happy to be here. I enjoy the podcast greatly. Woo. Awesome. Um, so people know who James and I are. They're probably sick of us by now. They don't know who <laughs> you are. So Jay, why don't you tell us and, the, and the, the, the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do at Grumpire, at Daily Grindhouse, anything and anything you want to talk about, by all means. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, yes, I am one of the contributors at uh, Grumpire. It's a website devoted to film analysis and criticism. I'm also the assistant editor. It's the brainchild of LB and Andrews, some really cool folks uh, who live in the deep south of Texas near the Mexican border. And we uh, established a friendship on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I just, he, they just said, hey, you want to try writing for us? Because they knew I was a writer. And so I had never really written anything about films in quite a long time. I had a blog like 20 years ago that I you know, never really kept, kept up with. And so I generally write up like my favorite genre is probably horror, but I, I, I write about all sorts of genre. I think all time periods. I just, I'm a you know generalist. I love film. Uh, and yeah, so, and, and I, there's such an exciting stable of writers at Grumpire. And I'm like, I always love because editing them. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, Emilio's got a piece and oh, you know, really different. So I, I just really like, enjoy the editing and the writing process there. And, and I've, at Daily Grindhouse, I've also written uh, about a lot of exploitation films and I've got a column that's coming up that's called TV Tinglers. <laughs> and it's all about looking at uh, horror television because I, as a kid, like my love of horror really started with watching reruns of The Twilight Zone nice. and the original Star Trek, like that, that show, both those shows scared me to death, like the scary music. And actually, now those are connected to how I discovered like uh, Edgar Allan Poe and, and H.P. Lovecraft. Hmm. So there's a connection. It's like six degrees of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> and w- which is a perfect segue into what I was going to mm-hmm. ask you next, for, which is just um, your connection and your interest in Lovecraft. I, I had I, I, I met Jay uh, through the the uh, the Pod and the Pendulum's read through of the the Kerry Fukunaga's It script, which. I keep plugging that and it hasn't come out yet, but listeners, yeah, I, will, it will, I, will, I, will, I will advertise that when it's come out. And so I, I was casting a, a net and seeing who wants to come on and talk about Lovecraft stuff. And Jay was one of the first people. What's your connection to him, his works? What does Lovecraftian mean to you? What just any, any anything in that r- r- regard? Okay, so I'll encapsulate that in one minute. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, so I, as I mentioned before, like yeah, my love of horror started with those those TV old TV shows, uh, the Twilight Zone and Star Trek, um, and then 
from that though because my mom uh she is a very very devout christian and uh something i found on on football film twitter is that a lot of us are have parents who are, like we have very very strict religious upbringings <laughs> and i think so horror was kind of like that forbidden fruit and so i think for me like yeah just i started like you know trying to uh you know watching yeah those old reruns and then you know i wanted to like i i, I would fit the library take out books in the library about the twilight zone and discover writers like richard matheson who's now one of my favorite writers of all time mm -hmm. charles beaumont and then so i'm reading their their short fiction horror fiction discovering stephen king and then uh one of those books talked about robert block who i also recognize the name from psycho source material the novel uh that the film was based on and he wrote some star treks and then i knew that he was uh he was mentored by hp lovecraft and i heard the name but i didn't know who this was and so by the time high school, I, the school library didn't have any Lovecraft books, but there were these nice uh, trade paperbacks published by Delray Books at the time. So I read like At the Mountains of Madness and Case of Charles Dexter Ward and some of his other short stories, like Pickman's Model, The Dunwich Horror. Like, and then nice. when, I, when I bought the, uh, Rod Sterling's less known but still awesome horror anthology, Night Gallery, I was delighted to know there was an adaptation of Pickman's Mall. It's, it's weird. It's not, I don't know if it's good, but it's like it's it's definitely like it goes there. It's ambitious for an early seventies horror TV anthology. But <laughs> so I just yeah, and and from there like I just started reading other horror writers, and I just love the fact that to me Lovecraftian. Uh, to me, I mean, you could argue that maybe it's an overused term, but I mean, it's sometimes it, it's perfect to describe like to me ancient evils, these monstrous, almost unexplainable creatures that come from like almost the depths of inner space or even outer space as we see in this in the film life force <laughs> uh just like these ancient there's ancient aliens that are like you know it's hard to fathom like human beings just have a really hard time just understanding the the what what these creatures are like the whole like the, the cthulhu and i think like there was nobody else writing like him because you know poe was his own sort of thing and like august derleth uh was a contemporary and other writers like doing horror but no one was like writing like Lovecraft and you know he was obviously he was a very interesting man like who we know in real life he's not a good person but I mean like his uh you know like his literature still you know lives on and uh I you know when I was an English major and I, I a lot of like I was taking a, a fiction writing class and my prof was like always kind of kind of being very negative towards genre fiction and it wasn't until we had and I was like you know for Canadian University uh to have someone like Ursula Le Guin come to the talking to the school and you know come to my fiction writing class and lecture and talk about these writers and so i'm talking to her like oh yeah like richard matheson and uh harlan ellison and so she's like oh you know and like oh yeah and all these other people are like because they read like oh I, I read a lot of canadian literary fiction too but like they were just like well this isn't about the canadian landscape so i don't know <laughs> i don't know these authors so it's like i know margaret atwood so yeah so to make a long story short yeah so he, he's been a big part um i haven't read as much of his short stories uh lately i would really like to because i've revisited some of his the adaptations like reanimator and from beyond but i'd really like to go back to like this like the original because i love short stories like uh to me the short form is one of the best forms of narrative i think it's probably why i love anthology tv shows and anthology movies but i just i just think his work is so influential on king and even matheson to a point like so many people so yeah that's why <laughs> i'll be a little more succinct as we talk about life force <laughs> <laughs> that's 
that's a, that's a wonderful answer though and and it's uh it, yeah. it is it is more succinct than i mean you know james and i have spent what a year and a half talking about this kind of stuff and we still haven't really gotten to the point so that was wonderful <laughs> well but, but you know what and this is the thing and i'm not just trying to like blow smoke up your asses because I, I i like you know talking about uh lords of illusion and like these other films and i just love the fact because like there's it just shows like how how much there is of lovecraft like how much of an influence he was like i mean i know Stephen king is probably the biggest influence on today's horror writers I, I would argue, but like Lovecraft, that was just omnipresent in so much, whether it's conscious or not, people who read him, like maybe they don't even remember. And it. it's like, well, uh, you know, this is, and like when you, when we were talking about what, what to discuss for this, this podcast. And I'm just like, Oh, I mean, not just cause I think the film is <laughs> awesome, but I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, life force is like, that's like, that is so Lovecraft in, in a weird sort of way. So it just, yeah. You know, that is something that we've been, um, discovering a lot especially in some recent stuff we discovered with this question of like is this movie actually deliberately lovecraftian or did he as as an author just kind of set up so many tropes and archetypes that right. eventually fed into things that whether i mean this was when we talked about benson and moorhead was that was a lot of that uh -huh. stuff like are those films lovecraftian or do they just have a lot of stuff which like yes this was this was groundwork laid down in the 1920s 1930s and they are just playing out archetypes like oh yeah i guess that's where it came from um uh -huh. so there's those films and then there is life force <laughs> I, I i know i i fully admit i'll be upfront with everyone i'm probably going to be the minority voice on this episode because james and jay i know i know love life yeah. force i i'm yeah. I, i'm still trying to digest what i viewed days ago but um, no, that's understandable that is that is that is a natural reaction it to is watching life force for the first time it's but it, it is a strange little movie and of course a little bit of background before i, I hand the reins to james the first film uh that toby hooper made in a three-picture deal with canon films which was then you know the, the next two were invaders from mars and texas chainsaw massacre 2 this was one of the most expensive productions from Canon Films, along with Masters of the Universe, which tanked, <laughs> and yeah. Superman for the Quest for Peace. So, Ugh, yeah, not not really prestigious company um, in in that regard. But um, Canon Films, there's they are infamous or famous, probably both. <laughs> Um, there are two two documentaries on them: Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films, and the Go Go Boys, the inside story of Canon Films. Um, but this is right up James's alley. So, James, if people are like Canon Films, I feel like I know who they are. Um, <laughs> edify the <laughs> listeners about Canon Films. Uh, yeah, it's it, like where do you begin with Canon? <laughs> the Canon Group, as they like to call themselves. Right. Uh, well, the. The canon group as we know it, the, the one that we always talk about, these films and so many others, like basically what made them big from 1979 on was Manam Golem and, you know, Yolan Globus, two Israeli cousins, bought the canon group from the original owners in 1979. Was the one, you know, they loved movies so much and they wanted to make they're big, like, you know, it was easier just to buy a company that actually had like a, a foot in the door than try to start fresh. So mm -hmm. it makes sense, you know, and they had some success in Israel um, with films like uh, there was it's like this lemonade series, it's, yeah. and which, which basically was one of their first films was the um, Last American Virgin, which is 
one of the <laughs> most bizarre <laughs> and intense like teen comedies to this day I've, I've ever seen because even as a kid seeing that film with a bunch of friends because we thought <laughs> oh it's going to be like you know typical sex comedy like fast time even though fast times in richmond high does kind of borrow something from that with the whole pregnancy and like and it gets so dark and you're like oh my god this is like what am i like okay this is not this is not typical sex comedy okay <laughs> where's the comedy <laughs> yeah where, where where's the where, where's the kid fucking a pie um but you know so they took over and like you know they were really famous for making really fun to me at least um really fun action films like the you know all the death wish you know sequels which became <laughs> more original yeah, yeah no yeah. no not the original but they did get michael winter back for for the first few and uh those those are just bizarre like death wish <laughs> 3 to this day is still one of my favorite films of all time it's weird to say that but but, you know, something about, you know, Charles Bronson killing people in all these films at an older age, it kind of like, you know, I mean, again, it shows how Hollywood and film is always cyclical because then you had Liam Neeson doing the same thing yeah. in all his action films. Yeah, that's true. Well, older guy that's a tough guy that did serious films back then. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, like, oh, you're an action star now. Okay, cool. And had a new life. And then, you know as I always like to call, even though I do like Invasion USA and a few other films of his, the uh, block of wood known as Chuck Norris. <laughs> um, they, those are the two stars that made canon like profitable, like so they could keep growing and growing. And then you had other films like the American Ninja series, uh, which I love, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of those. Um, and, you know, you know, all the, so many, so many films like Cobra, <laughs> ridiculous Sylvester Stallone movie, which was a, the original, I think it was the original screenplay for Beverly Hills Cop. And because something happened with the, so Stallone took it and said, okay, well, I'm going to make my own version. And they made Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Well, you know, so, you know, I, I, I love that film because who else eats a uh, piece of pizza with a pair of scissors? Cobra does. Yeah, that's so weird. It's such a weird thing. And, and and that's the thing about like the canon group. They while they were also doing like films like that, they also gave life to a lot of like foreign filmmakers and serious from like like they, you know, Casafetti's did mm -hmm. you know had a film. You know, you had like they, and that showed just like how much they love film. And at one point, I think they were releasing 43 films in a year. Jeez. 43 films in a friggin' year by one company is insane. <laughs> Wow. But, and you know, it grew and grew. So this is why they had the money and the capital to go, hey, and, and Toby Hooper was, you know, trying to get away from what he was known for. But it's funny because then he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in this deal, <laughs> which is a completely different film from the original. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Which this is why I love that film so much. But, yeah. you know, this trilogy of films are kind of a make or break period. And sadly, they didn't do well. So it kind of was a break period for Toby that, yeah. um, and I love all three in different ways. Their three films mm -hmm. are completely different. Like you have <laughs> Life Force, which is swinging for the fences. He's, <laughs> he's going for the most bizarre crap. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, yeah, you could have easily made a sequel that was, you know, the same thing. Like, oh, Leatherface, you know, very moody. No, let's make this crazy horror comedy. 
yep. with the same characters, so to speak, and introducing new ones. And then you had his big budget remake of Invaders from Mars, which some of the some of the coolest and creepiest special effects that still creep me out. Like that was that was a film I watched as a kid, and it haunts me to this day because it was like, yeah. oh my god, this is really creepy aliens. Like this is scary yeah. shit you know so yeah, that was that was my introduction to bud courts <laughs> oh man like, oh. Oh. <laughs> no you know what's funny actually probably was mine too not realizing mm-hmm. who he was yeah and then of course you just later seen harold and maude and mm-hmm. you know brewster mcleod and going oh you know and then also realizing years later going oh he's in the life aquatic also yeah the my, company stooge yeah, I, yeah. I never I, I never have seen any of those movies so my introduction introduction to bud court was in heat uh, oh Michael my god Mann. yeah as oh, the really? asshole as yeah as the asshole uh, uh kitchen guy who's trying to exploit oh a, right was a former prisoner who's trying to make a, an honest living so that was my introduction right. to Bud Court. so bizarre but 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 you know going back real quick about canon and mm. you know these two you know cousins and like trying the best but then of course like they started spending more and more money and more and more money and like you know they were famous for what I love is while they were famous for making these films that were cool and like crazy shit, you know, Enter the Ninja, all the Ninja films they made, like Ninja 3, The Domination is one of the greatest <laughs> what the fuck movies ever. But <laughs> but then, you know, like you said earlier, Jim, you, you know, you had Life Force, which was $25 million to make this movie. Uh, you, you know, and it's, I see it on the screen. It, it's 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 amazing what they did with you know with the people behind the scenes but you had this you had you know masters of the universe which is a childhood favorite of mine and superman 4 which is not and <laughs> you know and you have these three you know these films kind of like broke the bank for them and they were also famous for going to can- the Cannes film festival and having at like they would basically put out a a big book of ads where they would like try to sell movies, but proof of concept films that did not exist. And they were just trying to get hype for each one. So like, you know, this, their Spider-Man, well, it was <laughs> later on their Spider-Man film. They were trying to make with Cameron, James Cameron and Michael oh, okay. Dudikoff from the American Ninja films was supposed to play Spider-Man. So in a, in a different alternate reality, you have like this Canon after Canon group film, of spider-man you know and, and james cameron where he actually like curses in it that was like the big thing in the script at the end he says fuck and it's like oh my god spider-man would say fuck no he wouldn't actually but but you know so i love canon yes they're flawed they but what they did was they kind of like how we've talked about people like roger corman who would give like shots to up-and-coming filmmakers the, you know the canon group would give like these you know, marginal, like, you know, kind, you know, kind of famous or at least known in either the horror or action world shots. And it would actually give them like, like a budget to go. And, but basically would say like, look, try to make it for this, go for there. But they were also notorious for, um, you know, cutting films and, you know, kind of like what the uh, wine scenes were known mm-hmm. for, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's weird, these parallels when, I, you know, growing up and I go, oh, wow, it's kind of the same. Yeah, like they would just cut the shit out of films, which this is one of them, a film that was cut, yep. you know, drastically. And Toby Hooper was really pissed about a lot of it, especially the order of this film, like what it was originally supposed to be and what it ended up being. And 
but we'll talk more about that. But that's my, oh yeah. And also going back to the two documentaries, um, Electric Boogaloo, really great documentary by the same guy who made uh, Machete Maintenance Unleashed and other films like that. And, and uh, the Ozploitation, mm. you know, um, um, documentary. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Always fun. You know, like good, like talking heads type stuff. But then the Go-Go Boys, which I've yet to see because uh, mm-hmm. until recently, I think it's finally become available, is the Goldman Globus version of the story because oh. they were so fucking pissed at electric boogaloo <laughs> because because and i i you know does not i don't know if this is true they took light to the way they made them look which let's be honest i think was a more truthful take because you had a bunch of a bunch of people talking about them and the gogo boys from what i've heard is more patting on the back of golem and globus and really no negativity of it okay but until i actually watch it I can't say that for sure, but from what I gather from reviews and friends who have seen it, they're like, while it's still fun, it's very much a just a positive piece of uh, Uh, documentary. Yeah. So I'm like, I kind of find that funny that they they were so pissed at this one. They were like, we're making our own documentary, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. That's Um, that's a shame because like I, I have only seen the electric boogaloo as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know they're honest but i mean like it, it's yeah. it, it's but that's like they were like they made some really interesting films and they made some mm-hmm. turkeys and so i think the, the documentary wasn't like uh bad nothing it was just no. like people were like this is how they were and like yeah but they they don't like it so I, i'm still interested to see how the go-go boys but yeah from hearing about that though i didn't know that it was like a like sort of a puff piece spin on their uh <laughs> well, and, legacy and we'll say hearing but that, hearing- that was a really good introduction yeah, thank that you, was that, that was it. And just hearing both uh, Masters of the Universe and Superman for the Quest for Peace takes me back to like childhood and like yes. Sunday afternoons on WPAX eleven. Yes. Just like having those yes. having those <laughs> things run through, which is it's such a regional thing, I know. But just like yeah, of course you're gonna you're gonna see those movies, or you're gonna see Dolph Lundgren's Punisher, or Iron mm-hmm. Eagle two, or something. Never Iron Eagle one. No, always always Iron yeah always Iron Eagle always I, I Iron Eagle two. They, that was it was probably cheaper. That's why. <laughs> right. <laughs> But and well, I, did I they do, sell them in reverse order like they did with Best Action? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, you know what? This, when we're gonna make two films at once for Missing in Action, and you know what? The second one we're making, this is actually a better film, so we'll make it an awkward prequel. That's all right. Okay. I want to. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, just I'm probably a couple years older than you guys, and I remember going to see Superman for the quest for peace um, in this really dinky <laughs> multiplex in St. Albert, uh, Alberta, which is like a bedroom community beside Edmonton. And it was like, even for like 1987, like the, the screen was like so small. And I'm like, it's probably <laughs> like someone's deep giant, you know, 85 inch, hundred inch like TV today, but it's just like, and then watching it, because like, I was so excited. I never saw any of the Superman movies on the big screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this is my first one. And, and like the Engine Journal kind of well, gave it two and a half stars out of four. So I'm like, oh, that's not bad. And uh, oh, yeah, I was crushed. I was like, what? <laughs> like, just like nuclear. Oh, it just as much as and I, and I read like, you know, they kept because their money troubles, they kept taking away money from like Superman 4. Yeah. I don't know if it was. The, I don't I can't remember from that documentary if they funneled it to Masters of the Universe or wherever, but it was like just like so disappointing to see the spiriting to see Christopher Reeve, you know, still in good shape. Yeah. And it's like just such a paltry budget. And so anyway, it's, we're not talking about Superman four. <laughs> it's just the fact that the uh, the canon legacy is just so. Uh, 
I'll end it. I'll end it though with one thing. I always say Superman Four still, I think, is a better film than Superman Three. That's all. I'll Interesting. Say. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Superman Three is too like, I don't know. I, like Richard Pryor not being funny, which is really <laughs> yeah. weird, right? Like, like how do you waste <laughs> Richard Pryor? So, I I always say Superman Four, if it had a better budget, would actually be a really good film. Like, I mean, yeah, it's and- actually a good story. Like, you know what I mean? It's you know, you know, and you have Lex Luthor back trying to stop superman as he always does sure. um but you know and the whole idea of nuclear man like you know it's not the worst it's just mm-hmm. that budget is and you know you could tell like <laughs> it's like like you know reeve is trying to do the best he can and he's still great in that yeah. film it's just yeah it's just like oh just like well even same thing with master of the universe you know you think oh he-man movie awesome but then most of it takes place on earth which is just boring <laughs> it's like give, give me Eternia. Like I want to see the freaking castle, Grayskull. Like you see it for a split second, and bye. Let's go. Let's go. Because again, you look at look at the canon group. Like before we go on to Life Force, you have Frank Langella. Yeah, to me, mm. a, a pitch perfect awesome. Skeletor. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. and and the only reason he did that film because he his son was a big He Man fan and he wanted to like make a film that his son could watch and be proud of him. And like, I love that. And, and, and he also said, and also yeah. the money was good. So, but you know, you have, you have all these weird things like about Canon where they would just go for it. They would just go, you know what, let's try. But again, the super and four thing is like, they kept cutting the budget and cutting the budget and cutting the budget. It, it feels like later, like a lot of later um, Carpenter stuff, what they would John, John Carpenter, what they do like ghosts of Mars, they just kept cutting the budget. And then all of a sudden it's like, Characters would just disappear and no. <laughs> and again, life force, even though this was, a, yeah. you know, the characters would just disappear. Where would they go? You know, and we'll we'll get into that, too. Yeah. And, and let me let me add a little bit more of, of background to uh, life force before. Yes. Once again, I want to hand it off to uh-huh. Jay because I blame him for everything that's about to transpire. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> Cooper's initial cut of the film was 128 minutes. Uh, Canon cut out about 12, most of its scenes in the Churchill. Um, it opened fourth as a, as a domestic box office, grossing roughly 11 million, once again on a $25 million budget. Yeah. It's very bad. Um, it lost out to Cocoon, which was number one, which grossed about 76 million, and also I have not seen, and probably never will. Um, it is based you on. See Cocoon. Cocoon is awesome. Yeah, I will cocoon. say that it's yeah, awesome. Co- yeah, Cocoon again. Cocoon, another weird film I watched as a kid. I don't know if I should have been watching <laughs> yeah. that, but but it's a, it's a good film. It's a good I don't know. film. Well, it's just it's it's in that category of certain films. Like if I haven't seen it by now, I'm not going to go out of my way to seek it out. You know, like um, what else? This is, is Lovecraftian. Let let me think. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ames. Um, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Life Force is based on the novel The Space Vampires, uh, and a fun little bit of trivia with uh, for Colin Wilson was unhappy yes. with the way the film turned out. He wrote of it, John Falls once told me that the film of The Magus was the worst movie ever made. After seeing Life Force, I sent him a postcard telling him that I had gone one better. So Colin Wilson, <laughs> not a fan of his adaptation. Yeah. And one, yeah. one final, uh, or two final bits, um, from one IMDb user, completely <laughs> random, he said, Life Force is not merely another so bad it's good movie. It is not an example of a film made by individuals uh, with ambition far beyond their reach. 
No, it is quite simply the most audacious, spectacular, hilarious, absurd, insane, riotous, crazy, deliriously demented science fiction film of all time. Wow. Um, in one final bit, it was scheduled for 17 weeks and went five weeks over <laughs> schedule. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Jay, I'm going to I'm going to hand it off mm-hmm. to you now and say, why did you recommend or why did you want to talk about life force? <laughs> why did I want to leash this on you? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, life force has been with me for uh, over 30 plus years. I, I remember, you know, a lot of maybe the young, younger listeners who maybe don't remember video stores so much, but when I was a kid and, and renting movies and we, I was always allowed to rent science fiction movies and of course, being like, I loved Star Trek as a kid, still do. But I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to rent horror movies unless we were at a sleepover and, you know, doing it on the uh, down low. <laughs> so, but it was, it was listed in the, the science fiction section. And I think my, like my dad was pretty cool stuff. I mean, I, I think I wrote one of my pieces where we were watching a movie where it was really violent. My dad said, you kids probably shouldn't be watching this. And then that's all he'd say. He said, oh, I've done my parental <laughs> duty. I've said it. That's all right. Your mom doesn't know about this. I think that was Robocop, actually. Nice. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, I, it's the first thing I remember seeing squibs. It's like, oh, when someone gets shot, there's like really, it's really bloody, which is probably real. Um, in like real life. Anyway, so, so there was this box, VHS box. And I think this was around, Sometime after Star Trek The Next Generation was already like a syndicated hit in the late 80s and Patrick Stewart was becoming better known. And I think they were on the back of it. They were trying to like tell that Patrick Stewart, Star Trek, The Next Generation. And like, yep. if you watch it today, he is actually the most well-known actor of all of that group, even though he's got like a very small role in it because mm-hmm. he was like the film. It does have all these wonderful veteran British character actors, himself included, but so we rent, so my brother and I rented it and uh, it was, it's funny because when I watched it again, I watched it three times in preparation for this again uh, and watching a couple scenes, specific scenes, my partner, she's like, I bet I know why you rented this when you were a kid. I said, I didn't know at the time. <laughs> right, right. Me either. Once, once, yeah. So then once, once we watched, we started watching, I'm just like, and you get to the part where you see like the, 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 the human looking space vampires and it's like, whoa. And then you know they take the, the they take them down to Earth and she's walk the main space the the main space vampire vampires uh, is walking <laughs> around and it's just like she's naked and like you know when I was like probably like thirteen so I was like whoa and I, I I can't tell you that I knew what was really going on in the movie at the time <laughs> I think as a kid I was like maybe I just don't appreciate it. I don't understand it and I think at the time I was like maybe I just don't it's my fault for not understanding not realizing that sometimes movies are, are just not in a way that people should can like understand. And so I didn't watch it for like years. And I think, you know, one of the great things about the DVD revolution was that so many old genre films like MGM, like at least, you know, say what you will about some of their video presentations and full frame efforts that were full frame uh, DVDs, but like they released a lot of, they, they turned out a lot of their genre movies uh, on DVD and Life Force, I just bought it. And I really enjoyed it again. It had some things in it that I had obviously considered when I was 13. And, you know, now I've got the, you know, the different Blu-rays, the Arrow and like, cause I'm region free. So I've got to have the yeah. Arrow and the uh, Screen Factory uh, set or version. So, I mean, like, it's just, it's just one of those films that has stayed with me. And I think, I don't know if you guys remember seeing like on film Twitter, like a month ago or something, someone was trying to like start shit with like, 
is Alien really like a horror film? It's a science fiction. You know, like this yeah. whole, <laughs> can't you have more than one, can't a film be more than one genre? And I'm like, Life Force, like Alien, and uh, it, it, owes, it owes a lot to Alien, um, not just because Dan O'Bannon writing, but like, it's just like, you can, it is this like, quintessential horror and science fiction blended together. And whether or not you think it's a great blending <laughs> is up for debate, which we're going to talk about. But yeah, it's, it's just been one of those movies that I like when I think about cult movies, I always like think of this one. Like they like, I actually wrote down, like, it's funny you mentioned like before swinging for the fences. Cause I had one of my notes. It's like, this movie mm-hmm. swings for the fences because mm-hmm. it's bold. It tries like, and whether or not it succeeds, uh, it, it, it certainly, you can't damn them for their ambitions. Like Toby Hooper. And the fact that they'll, that Golan and Globus would give Hooper like $25 million. Like, and I, I couldn't remember who did the special effects. And then it's just, John, John Dykstra, John, yeah, Star Wars, Star Trek, the motion picture, like these great science fiction visual spectacles, and it's just like, and he did, and I love like seeing the map paintings, like the practical special effects, the mm-hmm. model of the HMS uh, the Churchill. Churchill. So like yeah. just, just uh, like you don't see that anymore, and so it's like it's a, it's a, it's a great artifact of a bygone era of like physical, practical special effects as well. Was. Return of the Living Dead also produced by the Canon Group because between no. okay because no. I was just wondering like between Dan O'Bannon's right you know being included and also the the animatronics of like the kind of the reanimated um it looks very similar you're right very, yeah, very, very, yeah. I noted that yeah, yeah same year that. same year also eighty five mm-hmm. like yeah all this like it's it's funny you had all these like zombie esque or you know like just the Basically, this, you know, you had Day of the Dead, you had, you know, all these films around the same time where they started perfecting, like, as I call them, like, husk zombie looking things. Like, just, yeah. mm-hmm. they looked so emaciated and stuff. And I, that's the one, like, I remember watching, you know, watching this as a kid also and not knowing anything about it except the Patrick Stewart thing. Like, going, oh, I love Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, Patrick Stewart, cool. And not realizing he's, you know, who he is in the film. You're like, oh, okay. I did not expect to see that Patrick Stewart in this film. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, um, but going like, oh my God, the special effect. Like, and again, John Dykstra. And, you, and the music is so like, like uproarious by Henry Mancini <gasps> of all people. Like, like yeah. how the hell did, it, you know, and again, this is a film like, again, like, like Jay, like you said, does it all work? Not necessarily, but the considering like how it somehow melds together this weird, strange concoction of horror, sci-fi, and a little bit of that dry British wit in it, like <laughs> that tongue-in-cheek. But but what's great is that they're playing it straight as hell. They're playing mm-hmm. it like it's the most serious film you've ever seen. But about space vampires, like. <laughs> big bad people that can take the shape of like whatever your most desirable thing is. So it's funny because then you have, we'll talk about Matilda May, but then you have mm-hmm. one of the male vampires played by Mick Jagger's brother, Chris. Oh, Jagger. really? I didn't know that. Yes. Oh. The first, the fir- yeah. The first, the first one who gets basically the one who gets stabbed with the, the big sword sword at the church. Oh, okay. The no, the end? no, 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 no. The, the oh, first one oh, by, by, right. by Faladay, by Faladay. Okay, um, right. That's that's Mick Jagger's brother. Oh, wow. Which is bizarre. Chris Jagger. Uh, <laughs> it's like, and if you look at him, like, again, watching it a couple of times before this episode, I'm like, yeah, I know that's, you know, Mick Jagger's brother. Let me watch it. You know, let me, like, look and stop. And I'm like, yep, the same lips. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
because yeah, he does actually look. I now you think I, I didn't I didn't connect that, but I'm like, oh, it, you know, he, he does those lips. <laughs> Probably you're you're right. Like especially the having all these British character actors, like they all play it yeah. so straight as though this is like no, this is. <laughs> Shakespeare and drama, we are going to give our all to it. Probably. Yeah. No one gives more of themselves than I'd say Steve Railsback. Oh. Uh, <laughs> who, like, really acts as a, like, this is my last chance to really prove. So he, I mean, if yeah. anyone's swinging for the fences, it's him. Mm. I am, I have a, an inherent fondness for him, and I guess this movie, because Steve Railsback, The X-Files, is literally my favorite show of all time. He plays quite the pivotal role as Dwayne Barry in season two, who is the one that kidnaps Agent Scully and yeah. gives her up to the to uh, you know to aliens to be abducted, which is probably one of the best examples of a show having to change its entire direction for real life events and making it work <laughs> very very well. But um, uh, I, I remember when like going through the X Files because I've I've gone through that show multiple times, watching behind the scenes stuff and interviews with Chris Carter who was so happy they got Steve Rails back and like he yeah. kind of considered him like a Canadian icon. And so well, I was like, oh, well, okay, who is this guy? I don't know well, who he is. Yeah, Steve, Steve Rails back's like a, a weird favorite of mine from like the, from the, you know, watching him as Charles Manson and he's like back in the day, he was amazing <laughs> as Manson, like he's unhinged. And I was like the joke when he comes out of the, the uh, escape pod, he looks like he's doing Manson again with the beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, stuff like Turkey shoot, an, uh, you know, exploitation film where that's insane. And you have like another, a Canadian, a favorite Canadian film of mine is uh blue monkey, which. Oh is, yes. <laughs> you know, okay. I'm glad you know blue yeah, monkey. I know it. I know it. Yeah. yeah I, have back, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. If you, no, no, oh. no, no. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll figure out how to make that Lovecraftian. Um, <laughs> Please <laughs> no, do. I love to hear that one. Yeah, Blue Monkey is great. I have a poster of that. I have to put up still, but uh, it's it's a weird film. It, there's no monkey in it, so don't don't worry. Um, <laughs> but what's weird about that film is that that Steve Railsback so not giving a shit about the film. Like he's just acting like whatever. Like this is he's, he's like you said, Jim. He's going full force. He's screaming. He's yep. like sweating like profusely. Oh, he, he's like constantly oh, overheated in this movie. Oh, overheated. Like they must have put like a heat, like a heater right below him. And like, we'll, like we'll go like, like, no, please, no. Like he's just screaming at everybody. Like, and he's just going full force. And like that's, and again, it's funny because you know he's the the non-British guy in this, and he's the one that's going crazy. He's going like, I'm gonna go full tilt. Well, actually, he's going to go full tilt American in this film, actually, which is funny. You know, he's a Vietnam vet. You know, it's a little subtle thing on his costume um, and, you know, all these little things. And like, yeah, he, he I, I love whatever Railsback points. And I'm glad you reminded me of his pivotal role in the X-Files. I have to mm -hmm. rewatch that second season. I Like, I haven't watched the X-Files, like, you know, from front to back in so long that I need to I need to do that very soon he's he's great in it too as a guy that is mentally unhinged because of all these experiences like he you know his character yeah. is one that has been abducted so many times and experimented on so many times that he's just so desperate to get rid of it and so like i i think about all the time like there's just a scene after Mulder shows up too late and Scully's gone. And he's just screaming like, you can't touch Dwayne Barry anymore. And he's just so <laughs> thrilled. And it's just like, wow, no, this guy is actually really, really good. Where has he been? 
apparently he's been doing uh life forces is actually where he's been <laughs> um I, I do i do want to talk a bit about the the tone of this one because jay you made a good note that like <laughs> quentin tarantino when he plays this movie he gets upset when people laugh at it and just mm -hmm. and this is i i'm i must admit this is going to be a continuous struggle for me my entire life of um intent versus interpretation and just that thing of like for for me my reaction is like if this guy was trying to make a serious film he failed because of how inadvertently comedic it is and yet i also understand some people could be like sure that's what he was trying to do he didn't succeed but it still has value because of how ridiculous it is and just how do you how do you guys like respond to to that idea or just even this movie yeah it's because when i i don't i don't i can't remember where i read that but i mean like the fact that when people there are some people who defend the film as oh it's no it's knowingly a comedy and i don't agree with that even though there are some really great lines like the colonel came when when, mm -hmm. when uh rails back is trying to get the information from the nurse and he's just like you know he sits down and he's got just i love the delivery he's like, I'm gonna, do you, if you want to leave like you know just wait outside said, no no i'm a natural boy and like i just <laughs> i just you know there's like some great like like you had mentioned before there's some great british dry wit and i don't know like the other co-writer besides Dan O'Ban, I don't know if he was British at all because there is like this, not just because of the actors, but like there is some, you know, the film kind of goes from being like American to a British sensibility as soon as they're on earth. And I may, I, I, I could be the co-writers, uh, but just, I think there were, while there are some moments of dry British wit, I do feel that no, it, they're being like, they're, it's supposed to be serious. And I know Hooper has said like, no, I was making a comedy. And I'm just like, uh, like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I totally understand. I love that film too. Like it's, it's, if you're going to make a sequel to a beloved classic as he did go in a way that's like that shit crazy, which he did. And I love it. And that's clearly a comedy, but I think when I watch life force, I, I, I don't get that sense that it's supposed to be intentional, um, which is unfortunate just because of some of the subject matter and some of the lines of dialogue. Like, you know, like, like, I remember like the guy who plays uh, one of the assassins in the James Bond movie for your eyes only is one of the British scientists. And, you know, he's, he's mesmerized by the, like Matilda, Matilda May's mm -hmm. character. And he's like talking about, I have it right down. I wrote down, it was, it was the most overwhelmingly effeminate presence I've ever encountered. And like, part of me thinks, okay, maybe that's trying to be witty, but at the same time, the way he's delivering it, it's like, it's because it's so serious like i it, i think it comes off as kind of unintentionally funny um and maybe that's maybe that's the maybe that's one of the reasons why the film doesn't work for a lot of people is that because we mentioned how the actors take the material so seriously maybe that creates that sort of not, because of their performance this unintentional humor and i i i i, I have two minds of that so i'm like it partly like that and then you know you have like lines like oh, i'm the feminine in your mind and it's just like i just started like i mean i smile not because i like oops but it's just just these, these kind of like i don't know like just what do you think <laughs> do you well, really no, I mean, think it's i know I, I i agree with you like it's you know i don't think hooper was making a comedy he you know he's, yeah. he was making a a blockbuster sci-fi horror film where this was supposed to be taken seriously and it just so happened that you know, and again, how did this film, like how, how, you know, with a British audience, if this film is put up on screen, how do they take it compared to an American audience? Like, it's, it's weird because I've been to a lot of rep screenings here where a lot of times I'll, I'll just get like pissed, but inside I'll get pissed where 
people are just laughing like crazy during films like The Exorcist. And you're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, what the hell are you watching? Like, you know, I understand Uh there, there are some, and don't get me wrong, that's what's great about horror. Usually you laugh to relieve the stress and the fear and whatever else, you know, the, 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 you know, the tenseness you're feeling from, if you, if you're not laughing at some points when, you know, and it's sometimes intentional, sometimes you're laughing because of like, oh my God, this is so insane. Uh I I need to relieve myself somehow of, of this stress. You know, there's a difference between like being a critic and critiquing something and like, yeah, even to this day, I still like chuckle at some scenes where you're like, okay, that's, that's pretty funny because it's almost so absurd. And, and that's the thing. I think it's the absurdity of this film yeah. that makes people that appreciate it laugh or like kind of go, what the hell was that? Like certain scenes, like just, we'll go later on with the Patrick Stewart scene. Like that's like, you're like, <laughs> oh, okay. This is not what I expected to see. When I saw it, I'm like, oh, okay. This is, this is life force okay yeah did the royal shakespeare company really really right. uh prepare for that moment for that scene like uh, patrick it, stewart's first yeah patrick stewart's yeah. first on-screen kiss and yes. it's in it's in life force what, which is funny because patrick stewart really loved this film if you ever read interviews and see yeah. he loved working with toby hooper he says yeah. i think to this day was his favorite director to work with which okay it's it's bizarre like life force was like he loved working with toby hooper and he hated the cuts they made to the film. Like he really loved the original version of the film and like that they cut it. He just felt it was like a travesty. It's funny to see Patrick Stewart like defending life force so much. That this makes me happy actually. Yeah, it does. It's like, cause I think he was like, I don't know which late night talk show he was on like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. I was letterman or something. And he was, yeah, like they showed a clip of it and he was like, he was, and he was like, no, I made this, this, this kind of wonderful science fiction horror film. And like, he's like, he, you know, brings it up because people, and he, and he's bringing new viewers to it. Cause people are like, I can just see all these Star Trek people are like, what? There's a movie with Patrick Stewart before Star Trek. I have to check this out. And then of course, I'm sure they were like, what the hell is this? But, but just the fact that, yeah, he had that such, such a reverence for the film. And I was going to ask you guys, uh, I don't know which, which, which cut did you guys watch? Cause I watched, I, I don't watch the Ameri- the North American theatrical cut. I just watched the European. Yeah. European cut for me. But like, I know because I think Jim was saying that there's like a 128 minute cut that, that Hooper had made. And I, you know, I know as I'm one of those film geeks who just loves having like, you know, all five Blade Runner cuts in a release uh-huh. or, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm praying that Star Trek, the motion picture when the director's oh. edition is finally released on 4k Blu-ray that they have like the special version you've never seen and the, the theatrical cut as well. But I, I wonder like if, if, I mean, I know that Hooper's not with us anymore, unfortunately, but I wonder if there's some way they could, extrapolate like they you know like they did with uh some of orson welles's films and like mm. try to create this because i know there's still a lot of stuff that wasn't included even in the european cut because you can tell when you're watching the film like you know as we talked as we mentioned like characters kind of disappear and then reappear and there's still a bit of stiltedness in some of the scenes and so you know that there's other other materials filmed and just not included and it, the european cut definitely helps but it's it's still not like the full vision and i would just you know love to see that but don't know if we yeah. are well. I'm I'm generally not sure which cut I watched. I, I don't, and I I'm not sure how I discern which one was the American and the European mm-hmm. cut. Um, I just went on my Roku, and the first one that was there was the one that I ah. the one that I watched. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It was it was 
Amazon was a long, Prime? It was a longer cut, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's probably the European so, one. But um, I, I'm I'm actually quite curious. Like, I would also want to know more about Toby Hooper's style as a director because we heard we hear that about Patrick Stewart that he loved working with Toby mm-hmm. Hooper. But we also have a, a bit of IMDb trivia here. Michael Armstrong, who was one of the uncredited uh, script doctors, um, came on set and he said he was horrified by Toby Hooper's working methods. Which I wonder what that's about. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to know what that means. <clears throat> but then we also have, you know, um, anecdotes that like the the crew, the cast and crew of Texas Chainsaw Massacre were miserable while they were making that film. Yep. Or, Gunner Hansen, yeah, yeah said. And, like he wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him because yeah. of the heat and everything. Yeah. And and also, you know, whether it's whether you find Spielberg's hand is heavier in Poltergeist or not, that was kind of that was a tumultuous production as well. And then you have this movie, which went five weeks over. So it's like, what was it about Toby Hooper that like you really can't seem to escape some stories up into a certain point of like how his his productions were kind of troubled? Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's it's true because like I've never heard like complete awfulness of him but i've you know the stories from texas chainsaw massacre yeah those are like infamous but it's almost like they hated him at the time when they made the film like oh i wanted to kill him but afterward like they all always speak lovingly of him so it's like it's almost like maybe hooper's one of those directors that like really pushes everyone like because he's trying to get of course his vision on screen to, to the best of his ability maybe he pushes him so much that Yes, he's almost like maybe quote unquote a tyrant, but of course to someone like a Patrick Stewart who's probably dealt with some of the most tyrannical like Shakespearean directors, he's probably like, oh, this guy's a cakewalk. I love this, you know, like <laughs> you know what I mean. And oh, I get to have a kiss with Steve Rails back. Okay, I mean, I guess it's it's not the same, but people always talk about how much they fucking hate working with James Cameron, but then the same yes. people keep coming yeah. back to work with yeah. him. Right, right, exactly. And it's it's funny. It's like. You know, certain filmmakers are always known as like the, the the sweetest people ever, and certain filmmakers are like, oh, they're a tyrant on on set, but afterward we could all have a beer, and then we'll you know I'll vow never to work with them again. But then like, hey, well, I'm I'm coming back with Avatar Seven, okay, maybe it's like these special effects laden directors that maybe they come across more like assholes when it comes to the actual actors than the everything else about their films i don't know there must be a parallel that that well, that would be a really good article actually or something yeah, about that because you know? I, I totally agree with you. and i thought at first maybe is it because he's an american director with a british crew because you know obviously i've, I've read of you know like when you know the james bond movies were filming in france and you know, all the cultural uh, conflicts yes. there about working conditions and how they work in france versus the uk so i thought maybe there was some of that but yeah, it sounds like it's not just when he's in the UK, but in the US as well. That like so, it, and I know he drank a lot of pop, soda pop, soda pop, uh, like Coca Cola <laughs> or Dr Pepper on set when he made movies. So I don't know if he was just so like jittery and you know just like whoa, Toby, just like calm down. Down. like just like tone her down, hey, eh? like tone her down. So I, I don't know. I, don't I had know. wondered about the the cultural differences too, because well, even right. Lucas making Star Wars in the UK, like he kept wanting to go, and they're like, "No, it's time. We're done. Like we're we're yeah. not working anymore for the day." It's, and he it's was like, "Time, yeah, it's yeah. Sea time. Sorry, yeah, yeah." And so, and and that's not a good or bad thing. It's more just like the uh, American is very much like we're working sixteen hours today, and UK is like, uh, "Fuck you, no, we're not. Like we're right. done. Like right. we're our, our we have labor laws." <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, we all have labor laws, but yeah. well, America is known to be a little bit lax with that a little, yeah. sometimes, you know? The um, other Western countries like Canada and the UK tend to be a little bit more like, we'll, we'll, we'll protect the employees. <laughs> what, is, what is that like, I wonder? Oh, man. A boy, a boy can dream. Um, yeah. But, but no, because in, in the... The, the Hooper thing I'm wondering about because um, I, I'm, I'm going to assume none of us here have read The Space Vampires, the novel. I, no, I, I have. I, oh, you I have? Read, I, oh, you I, have? I, okay. I, I own it. I own it, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do want to read it. I do want to read it. It's a good book. It's completely different, but it's a good book. Well, yeah, because I'm, I'm curious because I know doing research, like the novel apparently included like parallels between vampirism, criminality, and sexual fetization. And. This yeah. movie just kind of instead just seems to have titillation and exploitation and 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 like I I found that I I was really kind of creeped out by this movie. I mean, just thinking that like here's you know uh, um, the lead you know the lead woman vampire is like a, a teenage girl who does at that point doesn't speak English. Right. Um, Toby Hooper is kind of regularly inspecting her vagina to kind of see like how her yeah. pubic hair will show up on camera and and like it's, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole weird thing. Yeah, like I agree with you, Jim. Like that still kind of creeps me out. But uh-huh. reading, but reading and watching interviews with Matilda May since then, she was like, because she was eighteen and 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 sadly, you know, it's weird to say this, but and French, she was more open with her body to the point where she was just like walking around set all the time naked. She did, it wasn't like she was like, oh, it's my scene. Let me take my robe off. No, she was just constantly naked on set to the point where actors were like so almost awkward they were like uh, okay like always having to like look up you know which is great that we're trying <laughs> to be respectful but it's just like it's just a weird thing showing like the difference between you know cultures of like nudity yeah. and mm-hmm. like how nudity in france is like whatever we don't care like and again that was a whole thing that was a whole aspect of this film that they were trying to find actresses to be nude as this character of, of space girl <laughs> and never never a name which i i find funny but yeah yeah right no name just she's space girl you know but <laughs> but but if you look like so many actresses everyone from and again here's another one of the actresses i think that tried or at least was considered or at least was did um screen test or some was marina certis oh um, really yeah, which is yeah. funny. Then years later, then she did, you know, Next Generation with Patrick Stewart. So <laughs> she would, you know, would have would have been in a film together. Well, actually, funny enough, she was also in Death Wish 3. So yeah. it's funny. Again, yeah. the canon group did use her. Um, <laughs> but a lot of these actresses, and they said a bunch of, like, they, they basically, they were trying to get, like, American actresses and British actresses at first. And none of them said, they, you know, it would always be like, I'm not fucking doing that. Which, of course, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Then you would have... Then he went to like, oh, let's go beyond England and America. Let's go to like Germany. And a bunch of actresses supposedly said, yeah, we'll do it. And then each one like all conspired to be like, no, we're not doing that now. And then they found Matilda May, you know, and, you know, this 18 year old ballerina who had done a couple of films before in France, but yet they say introducing because, yeah, you know, I find it so bizarre, too, because like she had to learn how to do the lines phonetically in this film because she never spoke a word of english so did andre it, the giant and yeah, the princess bride right like like oh girl you know <laughs> but but it's it's just bizarre to think like you know she's doing this all phonetically and learning and then in those six months she was in england she learned english 
And, and I guess it, it's my 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 gripe or my complaint isn't so much the exploitation of a young woman as much as like the exploitation just like any of those deeper themes of like what what the nudity or the sex could stand for instead of just kind of saw like this is just really going to titillate people and we're going to have we're going to have a naked woman who just has a wonder a wonderful rack and that's why we're going to have her naked most of the time um i know what you mean yeah. that's what like i mean you know you because you can do that it, it's not a one-to-one correlation but you have voyeurism in peeping tom because yeah. peeping tom is all about the psychological damage of voyeurism and, and observation that kind of stuff and here it's just it's just kind of like, yeah, um, here's a naked woman, and also she drains your life force. Like, no, 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 and it, it's, a, it's a strange thing to think, because, like, remember, you know, the concept of her, you know, of, of this space vampire is she's taken the form of what perfection is to Steve Railsback. Yeah. Okay? Why is she the same to everybody? I'm not, I'm not saying, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Matilda May is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen on screen. But that concept of like someone being like perfect to someone else, why would she be? Per- why would she be the same to everybody? It's it's like a weird thing to think. Like the space vampire has, okay, rails back. That you know that's what he thinks, I guess. But again, maybe the the whole. It, it's also kind of like wonky the story because then we find out later on the twist, so to speak. <laughs> of yeah. What comes out of left field again? This is a film that feels like it's. You know, it's it's about two hours, but, you know, like, you know, a little less than two hours. But yet, even with the full cut, the 128 minute cut, I still feel like there's a lot missing because the the film ends so abruptly, too. Yeah. We'll get into that. It's just like you're building, you're, you're, you know, you're building so long. You're like, OK, this is pretty interesting. Where's it going? OK, this is this is twist. OK, you blink. Over. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like so much of the. The Churchill stuff was cut, which let me ask you, Jim, do you do you think that um, that, you know, people that have watched this film and then years later making Event Horizon saw this and the Churchill stuff is very, very much, especially the whole concept of the flashback and like showing what really happened and like like it's very much like, I don't know, it feels the parallels with that and again it's it's also ever since alien and like all these like space based you know horror films where you have like you know you show what's happening on the ship but then like you know then they would change it up okay let's show like the the black box or let's show from one point of view he's telling you what happened on the churchill but then he's not telling you the full truth because he's the <laughs> only one that knows what actually happened because he's yeah. the only one that survived and then him admitting to like maybe I took her out or maybe she did somehow. Like his mind, his mind is so fucked up that he's not a reliable person mm-hmm. throughout the whole film. Like the whole thing with you know where they're you know being led away from London. Is that because he you know that she's doing that or because of his connection with her that he's okay with that? It's a you know it's bizarre to look at it yeah. like that. Like you, but it's not really explained. Which I'm, no. you know, you you know, we're not about explanations always. Like, let let, let me write it out for you. But <laughs> sometimes you do need a little bit of like a guidance for it, and that's like one of my negative. You know, I love this film, but it's like a a yeah. thing that still to this day I'm like, mm, yeah, it's kind of like just assumed. Oh yeah, that's what happened. Maybe maybe that's what happened. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you because I, I think that like that's such a great point because you know you're watching it and you're like, okay, so like when I'm you know Steel Steel Brolsback's character Carlson, like how does he like they, they there's a little bit of explanation from Doctor Falada, but like you know like you like how does he know how to like read people like and like it's just it's kind of like just assumed that we know and he kind of says things but then you know it just is there yeah is you want a little bit more information and maybe there was something more in the folk you know hoopers preferred coat and that's the thing i don't know but i just love the fact that uh you've got you know this wonderful uh british character actor frank finley playing dr hans flotta and like yeah. that's he gets the sword which is exactly like yeah. the, the ship and i'm like but we don't know where the sword i mean he's got it from some museum yeah. or something but <laughs> yeah where he does this come it. from like how does, yeah. yeah he reminds me a lot like and actually <laughs> another like another show i grew up watching uh, i don't know if you guys have ever seen space 1999 yeah but like yeah. very yeah i love the show uh very and there's some well there's one episode that's very lovecraftian but the his the 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 Hans Falada character totally reminds me of like uh, British actor British Canadian actor uh, Barry Morris's character Professor Victor mm. Bergen a scientist but one who's like you know really still kind of philosophical and and interested in mysticism and like so it's like this kind of Doctor Falada is like this kind of weird pseudo scientist he talks about I had to look this up because I couldn't remember that but like uh, he's interested in uh, thanatology it's really yeah the study of death and i'm like okay but i just love the fact that this guy is like this man of science but yet he's got he's so deeply rooted in mysticism as well and you know he gets to go on his voyage like i love his delivery he goes you know near the end of the movie we'll, we'll get to that i'm sure but like <laughs> yeah it's just all the, you know you want some explanation and sometimes i get it you don't necessarily need it but in this film you need something because I'm like, I, I can't take everything at face value. <laughs> so. And I do wonder too, in that in that extended cut where they cut a bunch of stuff on the Churchill, would that address some of the mm. issues of, hey, there are these themes that the movie doesn't really deal with because you don't you you don't have you don't have a payoff because you don't have a setup first and foremost. Or right. would it help with Steve Railsback's character and, and this the weird muddling of who is our protagonist in this right. movie mm-hmm. because you think yeah, it's yeah. Colonel Kane who kind of shows up you know and but we don't really know much about him or what he's supposed to do and he's kind of one-dimensional but then steve Railsback comes back yeah and he's but instead he's actually just kind of pathetic because he's just really obsessed with this woman and what he wants so it's like would, right. would that have addressed those things i'm fine with having more talking if that talking is laying groundwork for <laughs> this ultimate apocalypse which we kind of then experience <laughs> later on, which also feels like it comes out of nowhere. Cause like, I thought we were dealing with space vampires and what we have instead is kind of a zombie movie at well, the end. Well, what I love about like, like the thing I actually really like about the whole apocalypse thing is that when you think about it, vampirism is like, like how zombie movies are always like, Oh, zombies, you know, they bite you and it spreads, but you never really get that with vampire films. It's like almost like more, like romantically like you know what i mean like a lot of vampire films not all but again <laughs> look at like a film like Stakeland that deals with vampirism and how it spreads like a, a fucking virus and to the point where the world is is over you know it's like people are trying to survive and this is like the beginning of that like if you made like a trilogy of life force films like you know of, of what happens in on earth now and it's trying to spread and like Again, which is weird, the parallel again with, like, I'm thinking about it just off the top of my head with Return of the Living Dead. Again, <laughs> Dan, Dan O'Bannon. Yep. 
and the whole idea of the government going, well, if it keeps spreading, we're just going to bomb with a nuclear bomb, London. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, that's the ending of Return of the Living Dead. Is that, <laughs> is that intentional or is it just because of the 80s and the whole nuclear scare? That's like the end all. On like, everyone's oh, mind, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. almost yeah. like, is, is it in the water? Is it it's some? But I do like the idea that this vampire plague just is just it spreads so fast and the you know the carriers are so you know they they need energy they need life force so much that they it's almost they're rabid with it to the point where they just have to go and you know like that's a that's a concept i actually like about this where in two hours if they don't get sustenance they just turn into dust like it's a terror. It's terrible. It's a terrible <laughs> outlook. Like of it's not. It's not a romantic vampire. Like it's not like oh you know. And again, some vampire films have dealt with the idea of vampires not you know feeding and like what happens. Like like Blade. You know the Blade Two deals with that. Of if these vampires don't feed, they become more. You know the new version of the of the vampires. They become like more rabid and insane. And other films have dealt with like if you. You know, they more of a romantic slant of it, like, oh, if you don't drink blood and they do, they just fall asleep and die. No, this is not that. This is like you die horribly. Yeah. You, you become a husk, <laughs> and even when you're a husk, you're still alive and you're suffering and to the point where you just just you you know, especially that female version, which is very much like Return of Leaving Dead. I'm waiting for her to say, yeah. want brains, you know, <laughs> like 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 it's yeah. weird how much this is connected, yet not yeah. at all. You know, it's very odd. Brains make the pain no, I... go away, James. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, oh man. Well, yeah, and, and even with even with like once again the this the setup and what we have here. I mean, th- this is a, a a podcast in which we analyze and interpret things as to whether they're Lovecraftian or not. And there's there's a quote that I have, and I pulled this from Wikipedia, yeah. but it is from a book by Carol Margaret Davidson yeah. uh, called Bram Stoker's Dracula: Sucking Through the Century, which. Um, and it says the entire premise and shape of the story is heavily indebted to and influenced by the work of H.P. Lovecraft and his Cthulhu mythos. Wilson mentioned Lovecraft's influence and said that Lovecraft's favorite idea of incubi who can steal a human body expelling its rightful owner was central to the story. Other Lovecraftian elements noted by Carol Margaret Davison include an ancient race of creatures who inhabited Earth long before the human race and who lurk out of sight, usually in dark, nasty corners plotting to reclaim it. Um, and some actually love the book so much and think it owes so much to Lovecraft that they mm. include the space vampires in the Cthulhu yeah. mythos. And that's all cool. I don't see any of that in the movie, really. Especially, and even especially, uh, Jay, getting back to what you think of, like, this ancient evil that kind of lurks on the edge of something. Like, yes, there are, there is this idea of, of the incubi and taking over a body such as, you know, Charles Dexter Ward and that kind of stuff. But once again, it's just kind of more like they stumble upon they stumble upon this ancient race of things, but how, how much does it go into what these things are and what they come from is more just kind of interested in let's get these things to earth quick so that the movie can explore this chaos and this destruction. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we yeah, were talking, I, I, we were talking about that earlier with the idea of not explaining too much. And that's a problem mm-hmm. with this. It's like, I don't know if the, if the Churchill stuff delves into this more because the whole idea of Carlson being, supposedly one of them but not knowing it is it's just a weird like twist that they throw in there because 
that idea that he's almost like a, a like a plant you know like like a seed that they planted however old he is who knows i mean is he only 35 years old or is he hundreds of years old not even know like it's very like yeah. you said it's not explained so it's like oh you vote you're one of us it's like is he because like you said jim he's really pathetic he's like really sad <laughs> like he's like he's so desperate for a companionship and like he doesn't change into one of those vampire you know big bad vampires but everyone else does it's again it's almost like they threw that in there to be like here's a twist yeah right i think that's totally really? true because yeah it's i because we only get that one line from dr yeah. falada like they're talking about like we're told like I believe, you know, it just like he says, like, I believe this is the, this is what the, the vampire mythos has been created. They keep coming back every 76 years of Halo's Comet. And yes. I'm like, well, that seems like a very inefficient way of like going, you know, of like <laughs> conquering worlds. Like, right. And, and then Carlson even mentions that, you know, because he's had to do telepathic connection with the, the space, the space, space of vampires. And uh, says, like, oh, they've destroyed worlds. And like, I want more yeah. of that because I'm like, I would love to like, see like, you know, as he's talking about like, you know, we, the camera showing different worlds that they're arriving and I like, yeah, we get that. And I, I want to know more because I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. Like, yeah. Okay. Maybe they didn't, maybe they don't pre, they don't, they didn't pre-exist on earth before human humanity, but like, I, I, like, how did they, because if, if there's this contagion now in the present day in life force, when they return, like what happened when they, they kept coming back? Like, you know, because again, we, we talk about vampire movies, like, yeah, you keep making vampires, but obviously the world didn't turn into like this giant planet overrun of like space vampire husks. <laughs> so, right. so, like, so there's a lot of weird things that they don't explain and you want more. Like, I mean, I don't want just a, you know, like a flash of insight from a shouting Dr. Falada. <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing. I just love all these, you know, like when he's talking, like when they're in the helicopter and I recognize like he's probably like, he's shouting at them. But he's are you there, Carlson? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> shouting. I'm like, why is he shouting? All right, like, he's on the phone. Like, calm down. Yeah. Like, are you, are you like, there, Carlson? I'm telling yeah, like, you the, like, I'm telling like, the plot of the movie. Here's the twist. Like, <laughs> it almost and feels, I just like, it's weird. It feels very Doctor Who to be at some points too. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, no I just no, no, down yeah. like Doctor Who at meets uh court, the the Quatermass uh, yes. experiment, like that sort of British, <laughs> very that's where the British influence, like the sort of mm. like scientists, like weird sort of eccentric scientists yeah. with pseudoscience. And yeah, so I just yeah, I wrote those notes down. <laughs> yeah, because I, I suppose there is that that you know shot near the the ending climax where we see like the one of the male vampires who's actually like in the t- whether you want to call it true form of this huge like bat like right. thing but aside from that um it, it just would the implication would just be like there's just three naked people floating around in the spaceship <laughs> but behind Haley's comet every every 76 years well the concept of of that yeah it's weird because from what you gather from what they say is that the three that are are survived and now in the stasis they fed on all the other ones because they've been trying so Again, if this is like this master race of vampires, they do a terrible job at it because they have to suck yeah. each other dry, like like, it's, <laughs> like like to the point where they're the last three of their kind on this. Again, can we talk about the uh, the most phallic ship ever in <laughs> cinema history? Yeah, like yeah, which which I heard is also taken from like the part of the ship was taken from an artichoke. Which makes really yeah, it laugh. looks like, like yeah. The, the yeah. umbrella part looks like mm-hmm. the artichoke. I'm like, oh yeah, it does look like an artichoke with the little spikes. Yeah, that's also well, I, I want to I want to know too because like John Dykstra because he worked on Star Trek the Motion Picture and I've yeah. seen the 
on the director's edition, you see what V'ger, the, the, the true V'ger ship looks like yeah. and like the sketches. And it's not dissimilar to what we see in Life Force. So I'm wondering mm. if that was like just kind of, you know, hey, well, we didn't get to see that. And we're never going to see it. So maybe I'll just crib some of that for Life Force. Like, I don't know, but maybe. I definitely thought, hey, this looks like V'ger. Well, it's very I, organic. I, right. I, I was also going to say, what the fuck, Dan O'Bannon, because even <laughs> O'Bannon's original script for Alien or Starbies had a lot more imagery of like, phallic things oh. penetrating other things and then oh, yeah. you have the ship like dan what's what's up well, man are you working he, out some stuff yeah he i think he always <laughs> has been yeah like a lot of his stuff is very very sexual phallic and again look at alien and you have hr giger doing the design of the xenomorph and the ships and stuff and then this film life force which you know it's john dykstra and other people but like the inside of the ship is very Giger like yeah. masturbatory, which I love about it. And like mm-hmm. when they enter the ship, it looks like they're going through an anus through the <laughs> ship, you yeah. know, going through the intestines of this ship. And it's like this organic thing. And like that's something like I really wish there was more of in like sci fi horror was this like organic like ships that yeah. are alive, but you're not really, you don't know that until you're inside of this thing. And again, look at like, Star Wars, you know, like, you know, the Millennium Falcon is inside a freaking alien beast at one point, and they don't yeah. even know it. They don't even mm. know it. And like, <laughs> I love that concept of like, oh, oh my God, there's things that we don't even know exist that are so big and bizarre and are different from what life forms that we know of. That, yeah, this thing, you know, and again, this ship, you know, this the space vampire ship is so powerful, it can like, take the souls, you know, basically the life force from uh-huh. these people to power it. But yet they can't figure out how to like save that power to survive as a group of aliens. It's very, like, again, very bizarre. Like, like, like only these three, you know, and it happens just to be like a female and two male vampires that are, again, whose perfection of the two males? Yeah, was, was that's what right? I was just about to ask because I, I thought point, about that yeah. because yeah, it's just like the, if she's the, the the feminine in his mind, what about the other two men? Like the the, the quote unquote masculine in his mind, like or right. somebody else? Because we see them they're being affected, like they infect she infects the entire the infect entire Churchill crew. So I mean, like, is that maybe from one of them? Like, so they don't they never explain that, right? Because I think there's only one. Like, was there only one woman on the Churchill crew? From what we yes. guys remember, like she gives yeah. the little look of like, oh, she's yeah. Perfect. When the guy's like, I've been on the ship for six yeah. months, and there, <laughs> and she's looking at him like, and it almost like it's a look like, hey, I thought we had a thing going on, like, and oh, you're an asshole. Okay, good, good to know. But then, like, who, who, like, is it one of the male ones that, or is she? You know, I mean, again, it's, yeah. it's almost you know when you start thinking about the logic, there is no logic. <laughs> like, Your brain like, hurts. Your brain starts <laughs> to hurt. Yeah. It starts yeah. to hurt a lot. It's like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> Life force doesn't make sense. So, but, you know. so then I, I want to, because I, I, I've gotten through all the notes that I have, but I, I want to, I guess, toss it back to you guys for the. It, it does seem like a, a a lot of attachment or fondness for this also comes from I don't want to mm-hmm. say nostalgia, but growing up with it, watching right, it at right. a certain time, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I, I want to know. Because we've been, we've been, if anyone, you know, hasn't been, you know, has listened on and off to this episode, we've been fairly kind of critical, not negative, but critical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I guess what what is it, what is it, because you guys both have said that you love this movie and what is, where does that love come from? And I don't say it in like, uh, explain it to me because this, this is fucking stupid, but more just, um, <laughs> is it the ambition? Like, I mean, because yeah. this is, this is 
mm-hmm. unlike many other movies. And so Toby Hooper, whether it's a success or failure, was really trying to do something here. Yeah, no, I I think that for me, like you know, like we, we mentioned how like it's 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 ambition that it swings it swings for the fences, but and you could say like we don't make movies like this anymore. Well, they didn't really make movies like that in the eighties either. I mean, like right. not with that kind of budget. <laughs> and I don't think this movie could ever get made today exactly the same way, obviously. No. But I just think though that just like watching again, I just love like the art design, like the. I wish we could see more of the the Churchill because I just love the fact that you've got this European Space Agency and NASA collaboration. Yeah. And some badly dubbed guy in, 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 in with American accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And then, like, but yeah, again, like, like this Giger esque, like, you know, I love the fact because, again, like, we see all, you know, aliens, everything from Star Trek and Star Wars, spaceships are so mechanical looking. And I want to see more truly alien, organic looking vessels and creatures. And this movie promises a lot of that. It shows us a lot of these things. And its scenes are bathed in wonderful green light and red light. And I just, just, and then the old school sort of animation of electric, electrical yes. releases, which I just love. I see that in any movie, like from the eighties yes. and early nineties. And I just, just the part of it, there's a part of me inside that's just glee, gleeful with joy because I just like, you know, like someone had to hand animate those, those electrical bolts. And again, because CGI, like this movie would, if this movie was remade today with CGI, mm-hmm. like it would just be, pardon the no pun intended but this would be so lifeless yeah, yes, <laughs> like, thank you, yes. like and i think that's one of the things i love about like you know because i i love the late 70s big budget space epics and you know into the 80s you know like the obviously because the aliens influence you know horror was like yeah and, and i never even you know it never even occurred to me to think of event horizon even though it's got a clear inspiration between alien and i i, I have to think that they were found like Paul W.S. Anderson is a big fan of this movie because, oh, yeah. yeah, there is so much similarity to that. And I just, the fact that it is like this, these practical effects, and even though it's insane, but like, everyone's just trying to give it their all. all these like, I love that one British character actor, Aubrey Morris, who's like, you know, he plays like, he's always kind of a little bit off in every movie or TV <laughs> show he's in, whether it's the prisoner, classic prisoner TV show or like the Wicker Man. And you know yeah. he's got a small role, but I just love how he's just like so like I'm I'm the Home Secretary and I sympathize, yes. Doctor. Like he's just he's got that wonderful Britishness. I mean that we in North America just <laughs> could like giggle at like <laughs> and, and like good naturedly like with with reverence. And like you know, unfortunately, poor Sir Percy gets his head uh, snapped. Sorry, spoilers. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but but just I just it's just so bad. it's just so crazy in this movie. And yeah, it doesn't work a lot of way, but in some in a lot of ways it does. And I just like. They don't make them like this anymore. And can you imagine like, if Stuart Gordon had like a budget like this to make some of his movies? Like, wow. Yeah. Like, so just the fact that Toby Hooper, a guy who, you know, you know, whether I think he directed Poltergeist with some yeah. Steven Spielberg influence, obviously, but the fact that this guy was just trying to shake things up and whether or not it's a good adaptation of the novel, because obviously Colin Wilson hated it. And I still want to read the book, but it reminds me kind of like how is it Paul F. Wilson who did uh, The Keep? wrote yes. the novel to keep yes and yes i michael man that, that movie is also very flawed but i love it and i hope he'll someday finally just realize this let's just release it on blu-ray so everyone can enjoy it it's <laughs> insanity but just the fact that he's trying to do something so ambitious and yeah it doesn't fully work but man it's it's the end result is just really to me that's truly what a midnight cult movie is like and i yeah. i've never seen it in an audience and i hope Oh. You know, post-pandemic Calgary, there's a Calgary art house theater that they play a lot of the horror films they did before the pandemic. And I really hope that, you know, 
someone like the Calgary Underground Film Festival, you know, puts it on because I will be there front row. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll pick it back on Jade, not even say much more. I almost agree 100% because, yes, it's, it's the ambition of this film. And like when I saw it, but like, again, you know, being 40 years old now and watching it again, and I still love it. It's not really only because of the nostalgia glasses. It's not because, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I saw it in a young, because there's some films that I loved as a kid or like, you know, in my teens and I'm like, I'm not a big fan of now. This is one that I think because, you know, being a Toby Hooper fan, the practical effects and the absurdity, like it's just an absurd film. Like it, yeah, like, like Jay, like you said, this is not a film you can make today, but it's also a film that while I love it, but it has its flaws. I almost think that if you, if they try to make like a, um, let's just say like a Netflix or someone wanted to like do a remake of sorts of this film, but do like a six episode premiere series of it, fleshing out the story, giving more backstory of the aliens and stuff. You could have some, a, a, a different beast, so to speak. And that would actually maybe give new light to why the film actually tries to do as much as it does in its short runtime. Like there's a lot of things it's trying to do in less than two hours and, <laughs> yeah. you know and it it doesn't land but again it's like it, and, and that's the thing with a lot of films like this where yes it doesn't work completely but i wish there was more of it like you mm-hmm. know and, that, and, and that's not a lot of films you can say that about at least to me where after watching go man i wish they had like another 30 minutes to like give me more about the churchill and more about the space vampires and more about the plague and more about the you know, like how it ends. So it's like it ends and like, are they dead? Do they go back to the to the ship and they're flying to another alien race? What's going on? I don't even know. Yeah, we want to know because yeah, it's like I you see know, like the yeah. glowing lights inside the right. ship. It's like at the end, it's like what is so is it are they destroyed? Are they rekindling yeah. things? Like yeah, like they double know. he he double penetrates themselves and you're like, <laughs> oh, you must they must die, but no, they fly up to the ship and then it's like then it's like. And, 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 and like an abrupt ending to like a Star Trek The Next Generation episode was like, dun, 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 and like yeah. the ship's flying away. You're like, wait, <laughs> wait, this, wait, it's not destroyed? Like, you're, you know, from, you know, we all grew up with the same types of films where when something like that happens, the ship explodes. Yeah. yeah and like, exactly. oh, you know, you have, you know, like Kane just looking up with a pile of bodies behind him. Going like, oh, hey, hey, where you? Hey Carlson, are you, you coming back? Like we're gonna get a drink at the pub. No, <laughs> see you later. But yeah, but I like I really like you know I I have a lot of like feelings for this film and like I still I dig the hell out of it and like yeah, is it Lovecraftian? The film has little elements of it, but not really. The book is more in that in that vein because and again Wilson hated the film, but. <laughs> You know what? Like when you look at films, and like I've seen many shitty films. This is not a bad, like it's not a bad film to the point. But I understand it's it's an author looking at it at his idea mm-hmm. on screen. Most of the time, authors don't like what is what is screened. You know, it's like. But again, a lot of books, the adaptation is never like a lot of times you can't really adapt a book on screen and and have everyone be happy. Yeah, definitely. you know what I mean. Like you know. You know, the, the book title was Space Vampires. Like, like you would think, <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you would think 100% that that title would be perfect for can- the canon group. Yeah, but, but they exactly. wanted, But they wanted a more prestigious title. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Canon Group wanted a prestigious title, like you know, like they have. <laughs> this like, was their Star Wars. They wanted they right. wanted a big special effects slated right. genre film. Yeah, right. And I just love that about it. Where, out of all the types of like you know producers out there, like to to be honest though, I I could picture Roger Corman if he produces would be like, oh yeah, Space Vampires. That's a perfect title. Let's put well, that out yeah. there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's I also it's it's yeah. it's commendable to the the to Golan Golan and Globus that you know when 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 directors sign these picture deals with companies and you know they can you know pay them out the fact that even though this movie was really expensive went five weeks over and they just said yeah here's some more money here's some more money and the fact that they didn't after like the, the lack of you know success at the box office that they didn't like quash the That's remaining true. two films they they let them because i i don't remember the order was it was it uh texas chainsaw massacre 2 and then uh other way around or whatever way yeah so but uh, the fact that they still even despite this ambitious film failing at the box office that they still you know they said you know what that's fine like we'll, we'll just well we want to keep working with you and i like that's to me one of the things i love about the canada films group like the fact that they were kind of loyal to a lot of filmmakers even probably when they shouldn't have been <laughs> like well, yeah, but, so, but i mean if, yeah. you, if they hadn't you wouldn't have gotten texas chainsaw massacre 2 or or invaders from mars which i haven't seen i own it but i haven't seen it recently and i really need to because i remember being kind of creeped out by that one as a kid even though it's not i think it's not even rated r it's like pg but it's so weird and otherworldly so yeah it is pg that's why I thought as a kid going, oh, I can watch this. And being like, oh my God, this is like the parents become <laughs> like are actually aliens. And they're like, oh my God, this is creepy. It's, it's actually creepier than yeah. Life Force. Actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. And as as you mentioned, this really was kind of the, it was, it, it was a make or break moment for Hooper. And it turned out to yeah. be kind of the break moment because after yeah. after this yeah. movie, yeah. he just, he did a lot of TV shows for a while, which is, is fine. But, you know, with a yeah. movie, a movie here and there, not one that I'm sure anyone besides maybe James has seen before, but like spontaneous right. combustion. Oh, I love that, but Brad Dorff. I, I want to, yeah. because it's got Brad Dorff, right? Yeah. Because like, our household, we're a team Brad Dorff, and we, I, I need yes. to see this movie. But, you do. You do need to see it. It's amazing. Um, okay. <laughs> and, and and one that James and I have talked about off camera, or uh, off mic a bunch of times, The Mangler in 1995. Yes. Uh, the Mangler, which, yes. Yeah, Robert England. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, and then, you know, just a lot of, a lot of like TV shows with a sporadic yeah. movie here or there that was not very well received until ultimately yeah. his, uh, his untimely passing. But um, yeah, yeah uh, rest in peace, Toby Hooper. Um, yep. This has been life force we have been uh the cast of cthulhu you can email us at movies of madness at gmail.com uh we are uh cthulhu or cast cthulhu on twitter and cthulhu cast on facebook i am nolan fixes teeth and james is fistful of media um catch up on back episodes uh on pretty much anywhere you can get your favorite podcasts and at battleshipretention.com jay thank you yes, so much you. for for joining us uh, on, on this episode um Plug, plug your stuff. Where can people find okay. you? Where can people read you? Anything and everything. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for letting me be on. Uh, it was fantastic to talk about Life Force because it's like, I need to write about this film, but uh, I probably will down the road. But yeah, like my, my next piece for Grumpire will be on, like we have a, we have a, running column called Weird Boners. Where these, movies, <laughs> <I guess. laughs> these, these movies that are like, you know, these movies that made such impressions us uh, in our lessons and I've written about blue velvet before, but now mm. I'm, I, my next piece will be, we're all doing one uh, coming up in the next week, but uh, my next one will be on body double. Cause I love Brian oh. De Palma and mm. uh, was talking about swing for the fences. There's another yes. movie that uh, body <laughs> double does that. And like I said, my, I don't know when I'll be coming out, but my first, my, 
uh, inaugural article for the TV Tinglers of the Daily Grindhouse will be, I'll just, it's, it's on the two William Shatner Twilight Zones because oh, I, yes. I, not, not because he's a fellow Canadian, but I just, growing up, I just loved William Shatner when I found out he was Canadian. It was just, oh, bonus. But yeah. I mean, I just, I, I want to do a podcast on like the films of William, like a limited podcast on the films of William Shatner. I'm just, I'm too lazy, haven't gone on it. But so for me, I thought what better way than, you know, one of the, one of the oldest TV shows, genre TV shows that's still remembered 60 plus years later. And here's when people think William Shatner is a shitty actor. I'm like, well, no. you didn't see him in the 60s, and yeah. here's why. <laughs> so that's that's that'll be coming to from, uh, Daily Grindhouse soon. Uh, but yeah, no, just I just keep writing. You can find me on Twitter. That's for my primary social media hangout. I spend probably too much time on there, but uh, mm-hmm. at Julia Sparthelmy, there you go. Um, and so this is obviously the end of our movies for May, which would be uh, which would lead you all to believe that this is now where we talk about June. And I do have a, a plan for June, but I have to mm-hmm. apologize for James because I'm springing this on you. I was going to okay. tell you before we started recording right. and then I didn't. Um, but seeing as June is, uh, you know, the official start of summer, June yeah. 20th, I figured we could do some stuff which is kind of summer-ish related so i think we're finally going to tackle starfish which even if okay. starfish has nothing to do with actual starfish still you think yeah. of starfish you think of the beach you think of summer yeah. and um uh, and then we will also be tackling uh the beach house uh oh. which um jessica scott will be joining us to discuss that jessica who i also met through the uh Oops. the it, awesome. uh, script table read so we're got, we got some exciting stuff coming up for june i have seen the beach house i believe james has has not yet no. I haven't um, yet, so I'm so excited. This, this is a rare situation in which I know what we're walking into and James <laughs> has no idea, so this should be, this should you know be exciting. What? That's exciting. That actually is exciting because sometimes we're, we're always like struggling to think, what are we going to cover next month? Yep. So it's good that we just have it all on the table. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with both those films because yep. and I haven't seen either, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Well, and then, of course, it'll come to June 29th, and we're like, what are we doing for July? And we will have you know an what? answer for I'll, it. I'll, I'll plan for July. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll there we sure. go. Uh, listeners and Jay, hold him accountable to that, yes, please. We've please got do, it on record please. now. This is this is <laughs> internet is written in ink, James. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but yes, uh, thank you everyone for listening to um, Life Force. Be sure to tune in next time where we'll be talking about Starfish. But in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 